0: Man, Well, good morning. Just another reminder, um, in case you hadn't heard the two times that it's already said before, at 5 p.m. today, uh, we will have a members meeting. If you are currently a member, it's important that you come here, especially with with this last one at the end of the year, because there's uh, two big things that we're going to do tonight. And the very first one is, Um, we're going to take in new members, and that's always a great time because it's a time just for us as a church to sit down and to hear story after story, and tonight we have about 20 stories of God's grace of the way that God had saved folks and how they're going to be brought into our church, and so it's a great time for us as a church to embrace the responsibility that we all have to care for those that um, come in. That's one, and two um, we're going to vote on our budget tonight, so our uh, budget for next year, right? One of the most important resources that we as a church get to use, what we want to do as pastors is to share this money that we all get to use for God's glory is not our money, it's God's money, but all of us are going to decide how we use it, and so it's important um, that you, you're here so that we all as a church can dictate the way that we're going to use the resources that God has provided to advance his gospel on this side of town. So 5 o'clock tonight, dinner will be there. We'll start right at 5 o'clock, so don't show up late because um, you'll miss all the good stuff. And I'll make sure that you don't get any food and you have to sit there hungry. So 5 o'clock, we'll do our best to be done Uh, in an hour and a half, so come, it's not going to be a lot of time. Let's pray and we'll dive right into God's Word. Father, um, we come to you right now and we've expressed our great gratitude for you, Father, but even if we spent years in unending song and praise, it would fall terribly short of conveying to you how grateful we are for the things that you've done and the way that you've served us and the immense amount of suffering that you went through to ensure that we would be brought close to you. And so, Father, right now as we hear your word, I pray that we would be reminded that this too is a form of worship, hearing from the God that created it all. So help us to hear from you, help us to apply your word, and I pray that it would change us, Father. I pray that you would pick um, or you would just prick, Lord, at the very heart of who we think that we are, and your word would work to change our identity it 's in Jesus' name we pray amen well it 's December and it 's christmas time it 's the end of the year it 's that one time of the year well, where, where although we 're supposed to reflect about the good things that God has done for us and how he came into the world to serve us, we're justified in our selfishness, right? Christmas is kind of that time of the year, and we learned it from when we were little kids, um, that it's okay for you to constantly think about this one question, and the question's this. What do you want? Spouses, friends, friends, loved ones, parents constantly ask you that, what do you want? The topic of conversation in lots of convo's that we have or what do you want this Christmas? And as the 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 more that we think about those things, what we tend to find out is what we want usually Um, falls into one or two categories or why we want the things that we want. And I think this. We tend to want the things that we want, one, because it'll make life easier, or two, it'll make life more enjoyable. Think about your list right now of the things that you want or the things you hope that your spouse or your parents will get you. And um, I bet that it falls into... One of those two things, the things that I want, I want them because if I get them, life will be easier than it is right now or life will be more enjoyable than it is. And that really just helps to uh, illustrate the goal that many of us live for. And I feel like that we tend to live our lives primarily for the avoidance of pain or inconvenience. Nobody comes to this time at the end of the year and when asked, what do you want? They say, well, let me think about what you could give me that would make my life harder to uh, deal with. We don't think that way. We think, what can I get that makes my life easier? I don't want to keep running into these hard times. I want to live my life to be freed of all of the things that make life so hard. And so what I found... Christmas time is a very revealing time because I think that our desires at Christmas really serve as the best illustrator, um, or uh, they tend to be an extension of our prayers. Right? That many of us treat that question, "What do you want?" Um, in uh, in the same way that we treat prayer, right, that we come to God, and if God were to come to you right now, when God, the all-powerful God that created the world, would come to you and said right now, what do you want, anything, what would you ask for? Would it differ from your Christmas list? For a bunch of us in here, I think that it would differ in size, We'd ask for more because God could give more. But at the end of the day, I think it's still the why is still the same. I want my life to be easier and more enjoyable. That's just how we live. We come to God and cry out to him when things are hard, and that's not a bad thing, right? Fasting in the Bible is that people that find themselves in an intense period of heartache, and they cry out to God for something. It's not a bad thing. It's just a revealing thing. It reveals what we feel like lies at the heart of our joy, what lies at the heart of us being happy. And for many of us, we cry out for things that will make our life easier or more enjoyable because we tend to think or live as if suffering and hard times stand in the way of our joy. So think about it. What right now is trip prayed for? Miscarriages that go on in the life of the church. Right? Cancer, heartache, sickness. There's something that we all long to be freed from. Why? So that we can be joyful and just get back to doing life As normal. But I think that if we live our lives this way, towards the avoidance of pain, that we're going to miss out on God's purpose for our lives. As we come and we read about Christ in Mark 10, one thing that we find out is that Jesus does not approach life the way that you and I approach life. Jesus does not think suffering or hard times stand in the way of joy. Jesus does not live a life that is just pursuing ease and enjoyment. He he lives life a completely different way than we do. So we're going to look at that. And then in this story, what we get is Jesus is going to ask two people the nine words that so many of us want to hear from God. What do you want me to do for you? And he's going to to correct one, and he's going to commend the other. Mark chapter 10, 32, and we'll, we'll start off here, and it says this. And they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. For the past three weeks, we've talked about as Jesus is going on the road to Jerusalem, he's going towards his death. He is going towards immense suffering. And the picture that we get here for the third time is Jesus not living life the way that you and I do. We live lives trying to avoid hard times. Jesus here is not just pursuing hard times, but he's the line leader. There's a picture of him walking ahead of a group of folks that aren't going to endure the same hard times as he is. He's not reluctantly going to the cross. He's eagerly and swiftly moving towards what he knows will be an incredibly hard time, and we have to ask ourselves, how? How does he do it? How can he do it? You and I don't do that. How? And here's how. When you focus on the end goal, it gives you the strength to endure a painful path. When you focus on the end goal, it gives you the strength to endure a painful path. Look, here in verse 32 at the end, it says this. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Look, Jesus going to the cross, it didn't catch him off guard. Not only is he saying that he's preparing to go and to die for their sins, but he's recounting all of the details. Look, I'm going to go here and they're going to mock me. And they're going to spit on me. I am literally going to feel the disgust that people have with me. And they're going to flog me. They're not just going to kill me quick. They're going to brutally murder me. Jesus had all of the details. None of it caught God But here's the thing that takes place that is true in all three times that he talks about his death. You're never going to find Jesus talking about his death without talking about his resurrection. Because he always has the end in mind. Death is not going to be the end of his story. Although it seems like it's the end of all of our stories. That's why I love that song that we sing. Blessed Assurance, and the guys um, clowned me the, 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 uh, the fourth week in a row that we sang it as a church, and they said, John, one thing that we can count on is when we sing that song, we know that you're going to cry, um, and it's true. Every time that we sung it, I can't help but to cry when I think of the fact that death couldn't hold our Savior. Death holds everybody. And it's been so hard since I lost my brother because death holds him. Father time is undefeated. There's nobody that wins out. Kobe is on the downward spiral. He's not going to beat him. But the beauty of what Christ does is death is not the end of his story. He's pursuing this painful path because he knows what comes at the end of this. And what comes at the end of this is life and resurrection. Having the end in mind gives you what you need to pursue a painful pathway. And I want you to see how different Jesus is from us. Because even if you and I had the end in mind, I think that we would still choose avoiding pain. And the way that I think of, 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 about that is this. Think of the, the most embarrassing, humiliating, heart-wrenching thing that ever took place with you right now. If time travel was real, would you go back and warn yourself? Absolutely right? There's so many things that have gone wrong in my life, but one thing that I think of, it makes me cringe, and it's this. I uh, remember being in eighth grade, um, and I had a crush on this girl, Melanie Chavis, right? Um, And my friend Shaheen was dating her. Well, me and him get on the phone, and I don't even, like, at 13 years old, I don't know what was going through our minds, but we had this plan where he was going to break up with her, he was going to call me and tell me that it's done. I was going to call her, just ask her how life was, and then ask her out. Um, she'd say yes. I'd call him, and we would say, hey, man, it all worked. Uh, so we tried it, and it all went according to plan until she said no. And then I called him, like, man, I can't believe it. She said no, right? And so what I think is if I could go back in time, I would go back in time and I would warn myself and I would say, John, this is not going to work well for you. It's going to be hard. You're going to be embarrassed. You're not going to be able to look her in the face uh, 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 again. You're only making this choice because you don't have all the details. Think of your life and in time where you went through an immense amount of suffering and you wish, I wish that I could go back and warn myself so that I had all of the details so that I would choose not to go down this hard path. Jesus has all of the details. He knows it all. He doesn't need somebody to come back and to warn him. And that's what makes it so amazing. He has the end in mind. He has all of the details. And that doesn't make him run from the path. It makes him pursue that path all the more. Because Jesus knows that not one ounce of the suffering that he will endure is accidental. Not one ounce catches God off guard. Not one ounce is purposeless. All of it is purposeful. There was not one one flogging, there was not one drop of spit, there was not one drop of blood spilled from Jesus' hands that was wasted. God knew it all, and God had a plan for it all, and I want to tell you the same thing for you, for all of us that are in Christ. There is not one ounce of suffering that you're enduring in your life right now that was not planned by God and already has a purpose. There's not one ounce of depression. There's not one ounce of brokenness or being frustrated. There is no tumor. There's no cancer. There's no miscarriage. There is no ounce of suffering that's wasted. It has caught our great God off guard. It is purposeful. He is not puzzled. And having the end in mind gives us the strength that we need to walk down a painful path. But here's the thing that I want you to know. Purpose. It may help us walk this path, but purpose doesn't get rid of fear. Fear is still very, very real. It's very, very scary to think, well, I know God has my good in mind, but things don't seem like that they'll work. This seems like it's going to be the one thing that does me in. And here's the beauty of what we see here in this text. Jesus is walking, and the disciples are scared, but they are still following Him. And we serve a God and a Savior that knows that He has very fearful followers, but Jesus welcomes fearful followers if you're scared if you feel like this time this financial crisis this thing is going to be the thing that does you in and it's the end of the story I want you to know that you don't have to look inside for courage Look ahead at somebody who's walked that road knowing full well what would go wrong, but yet endured it and found life at the end of that road and be encouraged by the fact that we have a Savior that's going to lead the line in walking towards suffering. We don't have to fear. We have a great God and a Savior and a champion. And so what takes place is this, that the end of the road, to have our eyes on the end of the road, can help us in walking down a very, very painful path. But to have our eyes on the end of the road can also hinder the way that we walk down this path. If you and I get confused and we think that the end of the road is going to be an indicator of the type of journey that we walk. Though the end of the road is joy in life, the journey is a very, very painful one. And if we live life trying to avoid pain, trying to live merely for ease and enjoyment, then what that's going to do is that's going to sidetrack us, and it's going to take us off of the very road that God intends to lead us towards our true joy. And so what we get here in this story, Jesus with two groups of people, after leading out in this way, he goes to them and says, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? And we see a group of folks who tend to view life and think of life like we do, and Jesus has to correct it, but then you see somebody who's blind but has an amazing amount of insight into who God is and who um, he is, and he's going to give us our task for how it is that we should view the world. Drop down with me to verse 35, and it says this. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, look, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Rule of thumb, if somebody comes to you and says that, you can probably be sure that you're going to say um, No. Look at how Jesus responds, though. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Look, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Here's what goes on. James and John come to Christ and they say, hey, Jesus, we want you to sign this check and let us fill in all the rest of the details later. And Christ says, well, what do you want from me? And when they ask to sit at his right and his left, they're not just asking for assigned seats when Christ gets into his kingdom. They're asking, Jesus, we want you to give us prominence and honor. We want you, Jesus, to make us great. What they're doing right here is they're going to Jesus, God's perfect servant, and treating him as their personal butler. Jesus is just this means to an end. What they're saying is, Jesus, we want you to make us great. Listen. The merit of a request is not judged by what you ask for, but by why you ask for the things that you do. Right? It's not what, like if the what's good or bad, like if I pray for myself, then that's bad, and if I pray for the rest of the world, that that's good. But it's, it's why do you ask for the things that you do? A big God deserves big prayers. Right? So, so a big God is not in, uh, intimidated by you praying for big things, nor is he alleviated by you praying for small things. A big God wants to be prayed to in a very, very big way. So these guys come and they ask for a very, very big thing. Is Jesus' rebuke here because they ask for a big thing? No, but it's why they ask for it. Jesus, on his way down this painful path to die for people, is being met with these two guys that are very close to him, and all they want is greatness. All they want is glory. And this is a step further than what we talked through last week. They see Jesus as their ticket to glory. They see Jesus as the means to get all of what they want in the end. They see Jesus as Their butler, the one that's going to bring all of this to pass. And Jesus comes and immediately he directs their minds from the end goal to the pathway. For a group of folks that would look and think suffering and joy are at odds, Jesus says, the only reason why it seems like these things are at odds or that you have to choose one instead of the other, other is that they're not rightly ordered. They're not put in the right way. So it's, it's like this. Magnets, right? A magnet has a north pole and a south pole, right? If you take a, a magnet and you try to put both of the north poles to, to together, they won't fit. They're going to repel one another. That's how you and I think of joy in terms of life going well, it being easy and enjoyable. If that's the mindset that we have of joy, then suffering is always going to seem like it doesn't quite fit. And it's not because joy and suffering Suffering don't go together, it's just that the magnets are turned the wrong way. So if you take the south end of a magnet and put it with the north end, what takes place is it's not just that things repel, but the closer they get together, they attract. They're one thing. So what Jesus is going to tell them is this. Suffering doesn't get in the way of our joy. But for the Christian, suffering is the way to our joy. Hard times don't don't get in the way of our true joy. It's going to be these hard times that are placed in our lives that provide the pathway to this true and lasting joy. So as they talk about where they think that joy is, is in greatness, is in being served by a group of people, Jesus immediately takes them to, that's not the path that he's on. So when he talks about this cup or this baptism, he talks about the death that he's going to face. This baptism, he talks about those that are with him identifying with him in the ways that he's mocked, in his hard times. For the Christian, suffering is part and parcel of our life. Though there are various ways in which all of us suffer, the commonality is that all of us suffer in very real ways. And so look at how Christ corrects it. Verse 42 and Jesus called them to him and said to them, I want to stop right there, just, just this small side note. One thing that you find here in the Gospels is that the best lessons, the most pivotal lessons that Jesus teaches are, they aren't in a classroom. They aren't primarily in the synagogue." They're in the context of real life. Jesus is somebody that's so consumed with God's will that every inconvenience, every piece of suffering, every misunderstanding is turned on its head and used to teach people about God and his kingdom. This is why we advocate so much for life on life, being involved in folks' lives. There are certain truths from God's word that you're gonna get here. There's certain truths from God's word that you're gonna get on Wednesday when you come here into the church. But there's certain things from God's words that are highlighted, not in a building like this, but in the context of real life. As it comes up, as you and your spouse are at home fighting. And somebody comes and knocks on your front door unexpected and says, what are y'all doing? And you have to lie or say, man, we just got into a beef. And then somebody that's consumed with the word of God and God's will can sit down. And the best pieces of instruction can come in those times People that are consumed with God's word constantly find a way to turn every conversation of, about God. People that are consumed with themselves right, constantly find a way to turn every conversation back on themselves. right. I read this article a few years ago of what they called a conversational narcissist. And it's the type of person that regardless of what you talk through, Um, They find a way to tell about one time where they did that. So you say, well, my car broke down. Well, I remember this one time that I was driving and my car broke down. Well, I had a tire fall off of the road as I drove. Well, I remember this one time that I had two tires fall off of the road. And they constantly find this way to bring themselves into the convo. Why? Because they're consumed with themselves. The person that is consumed with God and his glory will take advantage of every opportunity, every inconvenience to talk about um, what God wants. That was a side note. 42, it says this. And Jesus called them to him and said, For many. As Christ talks about suffering in hard times, not standing in the way of our joy, but being the pathway to our joy, his main point is this if greatness is defined by service, then glory and joy is always going to come through suffering because serving is very, very hard work. And the way that he defines what he wants of us is by first saying, what it's not, and he says look, greatness, there's a way that our world views greatness and he's saying you shouldn't think this way. Here's the way that our world views greatness, it's somebody that has power that rules over people with lesser power in order to make their life more easy and enjoyable. And you see it throughout history. The children of Israel were enslaved to the Egyptians. Why? So that they could make their lives easier, more enjoyable. They wouldn't have to do this hard work. Israel, when they break out and get free, what they do is when they grow strong, the book of Judges starts off and says, they turn around and do the same thing. And throughout the history of the world, what you find is this, time and time again. In the U.S., slavery was people that were great or had strength used their greatness to be served. The railroads being built by the Chinese here, same thing. Sex slaves, sweatshops. On and on and on, what we see is that the way that this world works, the way that our world goes, the way that you and I work, is that we're self-centered, so when we get power, power is used to make life for us more easy and enjoyable. It's been said if you step over people to get power, you'll step on them once you have power to keep that power. And at the heart of it, It's living life as if me being free from pain and inconvenience is the most important thing. And Christ says, this is the way that the world does it, but not so with you. Christianity is completely different. Verse 43, but it shall not be so with you, but. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first must be slave of all. When the world thinks of greatness, they think in terms of ruling. What Jesus is saying is that Christianity, it's not about being a master at all. It's all about serving. It's all about not just the way that we get greatness, but how we use Our greatness and our power, it's to be used to serve. And then what he does is he gives the example of him. For the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, listen, as a ransom for many. Ransom is probably the most important word in this whole book, if not your whole Bible. Jesus is trying to make this point to help people see not just how they should live, but he's trying to reveal what it is that God is like. And the point that he's trying to make is this. That if God were like you and I, there would be no salvation. If God thought of greatness if God thought of power, if God thought of his existence the way that you and I think of ours, there would be no salvation because salvation for us only comes at the end of this long road of suffering. And the reason why I say that is because you and I are not God. And what takes place with people that require so much of us? What do we do with people that show how inconsistent they are? What do we do with friendships and people that are emotionally draining? What do we do with the inconveniences that we feel in life from people that we love? We do all that we can to remove ourselves from them. I just can't deal with it anymore. And we keep them at bay. If God, the God that created the world, the God that created us, treated us the way that we treat one another, what would take place is there would never be salvation because the thought of Him paying a ransom would be absurd. Do you know why? Because the easiest And the most convenient thing for God was not to save people. The easiest and most convenient thing for God would have been to send all of us that had failed him to hell. If God saw suffering and joy as opposites, then for the sake of his joy, he never would have suffered. And here's the beauty of Jesus revealing himself not as some ruler that's strong but a servant is this is he gives us this picture of God that all of us want this ransom is not him negotiating with the devil the price that he's going to give if he would free us. It's not as if we've been kidnapped by Satan and now there's this ransom that he has to pay. It's this. What our sin did, all of our sins earn us this, this debt to God. All the sins that we do, the lying, the cheating, the, the, the outbursts of Anger, the fits of rage, all of these things, what they do is they earn us this debt. All, all these things are crimes uh, uh, against God. And they have to be paid by somebody. The Washington Post did this story on um, uh, presidential candidate this past week. Um, and they asked him about his faith in hell. And one thing that, 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 that he said was, I don't think that there is a a real thing as hell. Because what he said is, it seems like it, it, it would be unjust for a God to send folks to hell for an eternity for being bad for 80 years. So from his standpoint, it just didn't match up. So he's like, a lifetime of being bad What's fair is to give them that same lifetime of being punished and then let let them off of the hook. Listen, that's not the way that the Bible talks about sin. That's not the way that the Bible talks about justice. That's not the way that our world thinks of sin and justice. Sin and offense has nothing to do with how long it took you to do it. But it has the world to do with who you do it against. It could take you a fraction of a section or it could take you a fraction of a second to punch somebody. Your judgment is not going to be based on how long it took you to punch them. Your judgment will be based on who it was that you punched. If you punch me and you punch the President of the United States though it may be the same act, you're going to get a worse punishment because of the dignity of the person that you punched. And the same is true with God. If, If you sin against me, that's one thing. But if you sin against an infinite God, there is a punishment and a debt that you can't pay. All of us, because of our sins, have been enslaved. All of us, because of our sins, owe this debt to God. And the thing about somebody that needs a ransom paid is that they can't pay it for themselves. So the only way that we could experience freedom and salvation is if somebody else that was infinite paid the infinite wrath of God and survived and was able To make that payment in full. Jesus says this is the reason why he came into the world. To provide a ransom. The beauty of this is for all the sins that we've done. Our debt is completely paid. And here's how. Suffering and joy go together. His. Suffering paved the way for our joy. Suffering doesn't stand in the way of joy. It's the pathway to it. His suffering made the pathway for our joy. And it's not just to free us from suffering. George MacDonald says it like this. The Son of Man didn't endure suffering, So that men might not suffer, but that their suffering might be like his, purposeful, directed, focused, with its aim at joy, not bogged down by the hard times. God leaves these hard things in our life in order that we may find a true and a lasting joy, in order that we would depend on God and find that he's faithful to do all of the things that he said that he would. So the question is, if suffering is meant to lead us towards joy, then should we just pray for, for a hard times? Is that what God calls us to do? And I don't think that it is because at the end of this story we find this story of somebody praying for healing. Drop down with me to verse 46 and it says this. And they came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, these same words, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, look, rabbi, let me recover my sight. So he's praying for himself just like the rest of these folks are. Is that wrong? It's not about the what, it's the why. You have this blind man who's not on this same road that Christ is on. The disciples are on the road with Jesus and they want to get off. They don't want to die. They don't want to do, uh, uh, deal with all of these hard times. They want Jesus to give them joy and to make them great. And here you have this blind man who's sitting on the roadside and he calls Jesus the son of David, the title that's used for the Messiah. Nobody else in this book gets it, but this blind man who can't see has more insight than the rest of the folks that have been with him. And he's asking for his sight, but notice, he starts off and he says this, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He views being made whole by Jesus, not as a mandate, not as an obligation, but as an act of mercy. And that's different. If you view your health or being made whole as something that Christ owes you, then you're going to live for an avoidance of pain. You're going to live for ease and enjoyment. But if you view being made whole as an act of mercy from God, then you know how you're going to live? You'll live like this blind man did. And it comes on and he says this, And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. He he gives him freedom. This man that's been led by a group of folks his own, his whole life can now see and go any place that he wants. And, And it ends off and it says this, and immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. This is what discipleship and Christianity really look like. It looks like praying to to God to be made whole. We don't want to not pray. We serve a big God that can do big things, and He expects us to pray and to cry out to Him for mercy. And you know as well as I do that if you're facing hard times in your life right now, facing things that are hard that one of the only things that we can do is to cry out for mercy. God, I just want to be made whole. I just want to be normal. Right? Folks that are well tend to view their health and, and their wellness in terms of life should be this way. I'm fine. And they don't think of it. If you're sick and you're not well, Sometimes you just long for wholeness, right? When you have a cold, you think in your head, I remember the days when I could just breathe through my nose. Oh, how great those days were. If you're depressed, you remember the days when it was nothing to be around a group of people and not grow tired and exhausted. If you had a, miscarriage, you remember the days when you were content just to go home and to lay down and not to cry. If you're sick, you remember what it feels like just to get up and to be able to enjoy life that those that are sick just long for wholeness and they know that it's an act of mercy and we serve a God that wants us to cry out to Him for those things. Don't be ashamed even right now as you think of those things that are in your life. Cry out to Him and ask for Him to change and to help. But know this, the purpose of being made whole is so that we can wholly follow Jesus. The purpose of being made whole is so that we can use all of what he gave us to follow him. It's not just for our enjoyment. And if that's the truth, then that helps us to be able to receive the no's. Because if God says no, it's not because he doesn't want us to follow him. But he knows that our wholeness or our health may be a distraction from it. Don't forget, Jesus heals this blind man. But the last time that he talked about eyes, he told people that had their sight, if all your eyesight does is cause you to be distracted by the things here in this world, pluck them out. So it's not about what we get from Jesus. It's not about what we ask for. It is about the why and the purpose of being made whole is so that we can wholly follow Jesus. Jesus, cry out for mercy. But know this, even if God leaves you in a place where you're suffering, he doesn't leave you there to rob you of your your joy. It's in fact the very pathway towards your joy. And that's not a message coming from a supervisor at a job that doesn't get his hands dirty. It's coming from the very one that was the line leader on his way towards that death. So as we close, the only application and charge that I have at the end is this cry out to God for mercy. Pray that he would deliver us from the hard times. However, Take your prayers one step further. Don't just be content with the what. Ask the why. Pray and say, Lord, I pray that you would help. I pray that you would give. I pray that you would provide mercy and voice the so that, so that. And if it ends in merely ease and enjoyment, I want you to know you're on a pathway that Jesus did not walk. You are on a pathway that will not lead to your ultimate joy. The only pathway that leads towards joy is the path that follows Jesus. And Jesus walks a road of suffering. But he's our line leader. So we can look at the end of his story. And know that for those of us that plead to him for mercy, to forgive us of our sins, to trust in him, that his end is our end, his destiny is ours, and that grants us great courage to deal with so many hard things that we face in life. Let's pray. Father, help us not to be those that avoid suffering in this life or think that, um, An easy path means that you are pleased with us or a hard path means that you are not pleased with us. Remind us that even if we do have to walk down a hard path in this season, it's only so that we can know you better and trust you more. That we can actually see the way that you provide for your children and take care of all of our needs. How even in this life right now, Father, You'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust you, that we would love you, and we would serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.